Hi, this is Chad. I'm so glad to be part of your journey towards product mastery so you can better develop products that customers love. Thanks for joining us on this journey and we're going to help each other learn more that more to help customers actually love our products. This episode is sponsored by the RPM Experience. That's the Rapid Product Mastery Experience. This is the fastest way for product VPs and leaders to help their product managers and everyone else that's involved in product work creating those products that customers love to get on the same page with each other and actually increase their performance together. It's unlike other training. It really is an experience. We go through in nine weeks, meeting 75 minutes a week, information you need and training experiences to build collaboration and trust as well. If you want to check it out, go to productmasterynow.com slash RPM and see how it can help you and your group as well. Now, today we're talking about the skills that product managers need to grow their careers. And to help us, Neha Bansell, and Neha, you can help us pronounce your name properly for sure. (laughs) Tell everyone how to do this now. Chad, you got that right. It's Neha Bansal. Okay, you, you say it so much better. As with us, she is the head of merchant growth and monetization for Google's B2B commerce business, where she is leading efforts to build the next $1 billion plus B2B business for the company. Before joining Google, Neha worked as a management consultant at SX Product Consulting, where she helped organizations build products. And outside of her day job, and obviously with all her product management experience we're talking about, this was really the thing I wanted to engage Neha about. Outside of her day job, she spends her time helping other product managers reach their career goals. So she has some really good insights about that for us. As always, listeners, if you want to find a written summary of everything we discuss, including that one-page action guide that we create for you, with key takeaways from Neha's discussion in one page, simply go to productmasterynow.com slash 440. Neha, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me, Chad. It's exciting to talk, and I really want to get some insights, not just from your experience as a product manager and leading product management, but in this mentoring that you've done, because that's how you best hear the challenges that people are facing in their careers and the information that they need and help them with things. But first, give us a sense of that mentoring that you do. Typically, people I help tend to fall in two categories. They are either very uh, just getting into their product management careers. They're looking to get through help, looking for help with interviewing and getting that first product management role. Or I folk, I also help current product managers who are thinking about how do I become a better product manager? How do I build my skills and also succeed and have a career path? Excellent. So we may have time to talk about both a little bit, but I really like to focus on those current product managers and what do we need to build our career more. You and I could banter this around about all kinds of topics for sure, but I want to hear what the people you're mentoring are actually bringing to you and you're finding, right, in the real world, the kind of the things they run into. So what are some of the key topics that come to mind about these people in product management that are looking to further their career? There's so much, but I'll try my best to distill into (laughs) three things that I hear the most often. One is, first is, as people change teams within the same company or move to different or change their companies, how do they establish processes to Mm. enable their teams to succeed? I personally have a playbook that I've written for myself, having worked in three different teams at Google, that has helped me really get the ball rolling. So I often will share that perspective. Now, when I say processes, it could mean things like what what are the type of forums that's needed to sync with different members of your team, engineering, UX, et cetera, what forums you need to get leadership alignment, 
What are the processes you need to ensure that you have high quality in terms of deliverables, be it your own product requirement documents or from UX side or from engineering, so on and so forth. How do you set those standards? And also OKR planning. That's a big part of processes. So just understanding what processes would be required to succeed, to help your organization succeed. Second is setting up the right funnels for having access to users. Now, when I, at Google, I've been very lucky where in my first team, I was in a very early stage product I, and nobody cared about that product at that time. So it was very easy for me to just reach out to users directly and have a conversation. But as my scope grew, it became harder to have access to users as these were advertisers spending millions of dollars. So you had many more hoops to jump through, starting from like these global product lead, then that this person would connect me to the sales lead and then the account manager. So how do you work with these checks and balances to still have access to users? Because I strongly believe that as a PM, the biggest value you bring on your team is speaking to users and having a pulse of what your customers need. Okay. So that's another, the second big one. And the third one is setting goals. I have often spoken with PMs where they will say that, hey, I don't think my team gets what I want and helping them rethink about, okay, what do you really want? Less in a qualitative way, but more in a quantitative way that, hey, here's the metric that defines success for me. And here's the target number where the current state and the target for that metric. It surprises me. We all talk so much about being data-driven, but it's still a problem for a lot of product leaders. So those would be my top three that I often help coach PMs on. Okay. So these are the three key things that you're encountering for product managers that are looking to build their skills, establish their career more. And maybe we can talk through maybe an example in each one of those areas, right? So the processes first you introduced, what processes do we need to put in place to help us and the team be successful, everyone doing the work? Does an example come to mind that you could take us through that a little bit? Typically, there are two big phases you could break down your the product from a vision to a launch and landing. The first phase is the planning and the other is execution. So within planning, I define it as the product vision, strategy, and roadmap. Okay. So how do you set the vision, strategy, and roadmap? At what cadence do you do that? Who are the right stakeholders and partners to work with as you are setting your vision, strategy, roadmap? How and what would be some tools to do that? Given, especially in today's world where we are either in hybrid or fully remote working conditions. So how do you do that? I think those are all important processes to be very intentional about. Me personally, I, at Google, we do annual planning. So we set us, I set aside time in early in Q3 where I think through what is the vision and my strat and the strategy for the product. And it's not just thinking, but it's actually writing down a very meaty document, which evolves over, I want to say four to six weeks, where all of the leads from different teams come together and put down what they exactly think. Now, doing that is also not just like you sit in a room with your team and write down whatever comes to your mind. It's more about first going out there, talking to customers, and then talking to our customer support teams to understand what challenges they have been facing, talking to the sales team to understand what they have been facing, bringing all of that perspective together, keeping a pulse of where is the industry headed? What are the headwinds that we expect that we will tap into? 
all of that and then writing down the vision document. So that's one thing that's that's a big part of the planning process. Okay. Is that the level of detail you're looking for, Chad? Yeah, that's helpful. I was just going to ask you, so that product vision document you're starting with, this is a writing exercise to get clarity around this. Obviously, this relates to the next point about having access to users. We're, we're understanding the customer, the problem we need. You said we're looking at the trends that are taking place, right? Maybe changes in technology, changes in the business environment. What else are you putting in this product vision? Does this come together like a product vision statement that you're sharing with the team and using to collaborate on? You probably have a template for this. What are the key things that you put together in your product vision? First of all, you have to align on how far in ahead are you planning to look. Okay. Typically, looking ahead a year or two is easier than three years. And obviously, looking five years and 10 years is even harder. That decision I've learned to make based on where my product is currently at. So for a very well-established product like Google Analytics, we would easily look at three to five years in advance. And that's what the vision document would then break down. That where do you see the product in five years, in three years, in two years? And then what needs to happen in two years and one year to actually deliver on that vision? So right. that would be one part of the, of the document. And then we would also provide some... So yeah, I think that document is probably just two pages at the max, two or three pages, where you just want to talk about the vision. It's the strategy that goes more into more depth. So think which starts thinking about all right, so we know this is our vision. How will we get there? So a lot of the things, we start now looking at the data that we have to substantiate and come up with ideas of can we actually achieve that vision and why do we think we can achieve that vision? So we start thinking about what's, what are our strengths? What are our weaknesses? Where's competition? And then we use we substantiate all of that with the data we have. That would be the strategy talk. And then finally, the roadmap gets into, all right, so now that we know our strategy for year one, two, and three, what is the roadmap for year one? And the roadmap then breaks into specific projects that will help us hit the goals. And yes, the strategy doc also mentions the goals very clearly. We call it not star metrics. So we will mention that, hey, here's the metric that we care about. And that's here's the target that we want to achieve. And this is where it is right now. And every year, how much growth is expected. And then the roadmap, we yeah. start talking about all the projects that will help us achieve how much. And uh, yeah, it's fairly detailed. A lot of work goes into producing that, but that's the entire planning stage only. The execution is yet to be talked about. We'll be back with our guest in a moment. As you are a listener to this podcast, I want you to know how you can get even greater value from it, which is by becoming a member of the Product Mastery Now community. After being closed to new members for the last six months, it's now open. The community lets you meet the weekly guests yourself and ask your questions. If you missed these live sessions, you can view the video recording months before the audio-only version is available on podcast players, like what you're listening to now. You can also use Super Search to search the content of all past episodes, both in audio and video when available. The community is also the place to interact with other product professionals and get tips and advice. And that's just part of what the community offers. In my opinion, working in product is the best job you can have. Now, of course, I'm biased, but that's been true for me and true for many others I talk to. But still, many of us have few opportunities to network and learn from other product professionals. Let's change that. Since you already find this podcast valuable, you need to be in the community also. And you can be for as little as $10 a month. You'll be helping yourself and also helping this podcast. Please join now by going to productmasterynow.com community. Thanks for checking it out. 
that really provided some great insights around the vision and what is in, involved in that. And then the strategy is looking at how are we going to start delivering in some time frame, maybe that year, on that vision, doing that kind of SWOT analysis work. What are our strengths? What are the weaknesses? What's the competition doing? What's how our consumer preferences may be changing in that time frame? And then the big goals, the, these North Stars that we're pointing toward, what are we going to actually work on? And then you take that into specific projects, which is your roadmap for, okay, over the next year, here's the things we need to do to get there. Yep. So obviously planning is a very important part of product management career growth and being able to do this. And in this context, are you planning by yourself? What other people are you involving? What, what resources of the organization are you making available? Yeah, that's a very good question because just literally last week I was speaking to a fellow PM and he talked about how he feels like he is, this planning experience is very lonely for him. And I, and that always reminds me that this, for PMs, they need to understand that this is not a one-man show at all or a one-woman show when it comes to planning. It is on you as the PM, as the product manager to bring together the team to help with the planning as well and to have equal ownership actually for the planning. So the way I have done it is I will always do a two or three day offsite where I'll bring the team together and we will meet in person in the, and then we will spend dedicated time to understand each other's areas. And then we'll spend the other half just to think about all of the ideas. And there are a lot of uh, workshopping techniques that's available that you could use to help people come out, come up with ideas. One of my favorite ones is where we will have people take just one minute and list all of the shortcomings in the product or that they think is holding them down, right? So imagine there's a room of 10 people, in, which includes engineering, UX, marketing, finance, PMs, so on and so forth, the entire team, and we'll have everyone write down what's holding you down. And then we'll have people talk through this and put those sticky notes on a whiteboard. And then we'll say, what do you think from here can actually be solved easily and then what and what is going to be a harder lift so we lay that down on a graph right so immediately you end up with this distribution of problems that can be solved right away and there is value in solving them and then problems that has value in solving but will take more time so just doing that exercise allows you to tap crowdsource ideas from your entire team and then yes you as the pm can take the ownership to take that brainstorming and then put it into a document as the first draft I love that tool. It gives you low-hanging fruit on things that would make a real difference right now that are holding us back, getting in the way, shortcomings in the product, as well as ideas about those harder things that we need to think about taking on or not. Do you remember where you learned that tool from? Is this something that was already in place at Google and you picked up? I think this was just from one of my former PM directors. I remember him mm -hmm. leading a workshop like this when I was back in Google Analytics. And it just stayed with me because I could see it allowed people to be very authentic and real and transparent about the problems that were that they were facing and delivering and doing their jobs well. So I, I just picked it up from him. I know listeners want some more details on all of this, but I also want to find out about access to users, right? As you are navigating your career, it seems as time goes on, it's easier to not have that access to users. In the very beginning, when you're in a role, you feel the need, I got to be talking to customers, understand the problems better. We get used to what that is, and we still need to establish that. Can you tell us more about that? How you've been successful in getting people to spend time with customers and tools for that? I will say that PMs who are in the early stages of their career, who are individual contributors, it's definitely important to make sure that you talk to customers because 
from personal experience, I have had a lot of my engineering teams actually applaud the fact that I meet with at least three customers every week, irrespective of whether it's pre-scheduled for a particular project or not. Because that gives engineers and the team a trust that whatever this product manager is asking us to build is actually required by the market and by our users. So I cannot emphasize enough on the need to continue to have a pulse of what, who are the, your users and who are you exactly building for. Now with that, how do I do it? There are a few approaches that have worked with me, worked for me. One is looking, so we will often have, we're often able to build the list of customers who have opted in to provide feedback to the product development team. So if you don't have that small feature on your product, please build it. Uh-huh. At Google, I'm lucky that a lot of users opt in for feed, to provide feedback. So then that allows us to reach out to the users directly through an email blast saying, hey, you're opted in to provide feedback. Would you like to speak with the product development team? And then if they say yes, we schedule calls with them and we meet them. Second is if you are building for an enterprise product, you will most likely be liaisoning with someone from the sales side. So making sure you have friends on the sales team is super, super crucial. So I've intentionally spent a lot of time building relationships with my sales counterparts. And the way I've done that is by traveling to different major hubs like New York, Berlin, et cetera, and making sure we, I continuously nurture those relationships so that when I need feedback, I'm actually able to ask that very easily. And one more thing that has worked for me there is to also provide access to launches and information to the same sales teams so that they have this pride that they can then take to their clients and say, hey, I'm able to provide you early access to this information. Everybody appreciates that a lot, especially the client and as well as the sales teams so that you're working with. So that would be the second one. Just in nurturing those relationships with sales teams, are you also trying to get out on customer calls with salespeople? Are you asking them to take you out and introduce the, you to them and maybe talk about their needs a little bit with the product, right? And what might be coming in the future, that sort of thing? Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. I have mine with my team. They're very nice. I've always, the standing mandate is add me to every customer call you're having in for the next one month, let's say, because I'm trying to learn here for a specific project, let's say. So if it works, if the schedule allows, I totally attend the call itself. I might be an observer for most of it, and I make that clear, but it does give me a window to listen in directly from the customers. And then in addition to that, whenever there are, I attend a lot of the events as well, where sales teams invite their clients. So I make sure I'm a part of those events and get the opportunity to listen to people and gather feedback directly. Okay, so for planning, and I know we still have to get the execution a little bit here, but for planning, we got that vision, strategy, roadmap, getting access to users critical. I commend you that you're still making three contacts a week and making sure you talk to three customers. It's important for you and your product management lead role. And also, as you said, it does build credibility for the rest of the team, right? You're staying in touch with the customers that we're building the products for. And then we have setting goals. Tell us more about setting goals. How do we define what success should be? That's, I feel like that question can be another 30 to 40 minutes of discussion. But I'm going to try to condense it as to the extent possible. So how do we set goals? Typically, you would, as an organization, you most organizations have the topmost level goal would be profit or revenue, right? So you would think of, depending on how big your product is, you would think of those as the output metrics. What you can really control as a product team are called input metrics. 
which is which are and those are the metrics that are impacted with every new launch that hap- that happens right and there's an indirect impact on the output metrics now how do we set the input metrics it depends a lot on the product and the specific piece that you're trying to launch the way i do for my team is we will have very clear north star metrics for the entire entire team of pms that i manage and then we'll go and say for each product within my portfolio what is the north star metric so let me actually use an example so that it's more clear uh back in my role as the when i was heading brand management for youtube video ads we had three products search search lift brand lift and conversion lift so for all of these are products that are used by advertisers to measure the effectiveness of their youtube video ads so for each product one of our success metric our output metric was total advertiser revenue under management right how much revenue goes through our pipelines and then with that but for each single product the input metrics were different so for example for conversion lift we were going through this process of externalizing the product from being just an in in-house tool to actually being an external facing tool so there we looked at what is the customer journey like what is the drop off rate at various stages as we are doing this migration for for brand lift we were working on optimizing our infrastructure because we had a lot of survey load that result, was resulting in huge costs for there our metric was how can we reduce our survey load so our, that was a success metric and similarly for search lift at that time our metric was adoption so we were focused on how do we get more advertisers to use search lift as a platform so even though the products are similar in nature but the metrics were different for that mm-hmm. specific year and once you had that we started thinking about what would be levers that would affect each of the north star metrics and you would have to break that down into smaller metrics and go from there Yeah, what are those things that we can see early on? So I like that you talked about the output metrics, product management sprinkles are about the input metrics, things that we can control that we monitor, lead, make changes to the product that impact the things at the far other end like total revenue to the organization. Okay. Exactly. And usually the harder part is the, the instrumentation of metrics. You'll find people struggling with prioritizing the instrumentation of metrics and that's where you come in as a PM and help your team prioritize and say, "Hey, it is important for i'm willing to deprioritize this feature or this work for you to work on instrumentation of this metric so that type of prioritization i think pms can play a big role in helping engineering or your data science team take up that project of instrumentation and setting up the right dashboards for tracking progress of that metric okay so is instrumentation the collecting of the data that we need putting that into a format that we can make sense of maybe our data scientists are working through some of that data as well to give us some insights about it that's what we're talking about yes yes yep okay excellent okay so we got yep, collecting the data and then building the dashboards okay so we got some good insights on the planning aspect of this to help product managers certainly they need to be good at this in their careers and for career growth and execution tell us a little bit about what you were thinking of when you mentioned execution being the other kind of element yes i think of execution as the following steps assuming you have your roadmap crystal clear so now it's time to execute the projects on that you've listed on the roadmap so let's take project a now for that project you start with first writing up a very very brief document that describes how the end to end project that you're going to be what would be the project's outcome what would it look like at amazon they call this pr faq i love that 
So I, I've adopted that for my team at Google as well. So we will write a PR FAQs thinking about it, when we launch the, this externally, what are we going to say? That helps drive a lot of clarity. Once you have that, you start doing some user research to really validate some of the pain points that you, the, that you come up with as hypothesis. Once you have a certain degree of validation, you go ahead and write a product requirements document. Obviously, there are templates for, the, for this document. It typically covers the what are we, what is the problem we are trying to solve? Why do we need to solve it? Why do we need to solve it now? What's the impact we are expecting? And then you would go into more depth around what is the different phasing of the project, right? Because nothing is launched in its best version on the first time. So there will be multiple phases. And what are the phases of that launch? And finally, you'll talk about for the phase zero, here are my requirements. Requirements are like a contract that you have with you and engineering and the UX team to say, hey, this is what I want to achieve in first version. Once I have a first draft of it, I immediately get my team in the room and get feedback from everyone. That's another thing I've often seen PMs going down this rabbit hole where they will self-iterate on that doc for weeks together, and then they will put it out to their team for feedback. That is not a great approach because you're not allowing for early failure. So I, my recommendation is always to just do one draft, get feedback from your team, and then iterate on that feedback because that first feedback is always very meaningful that you they will share things that you probably didn't even think about or just didn't know because you're new to the team for example so have the prd ready when it's 70 to 80 percent there we will go out for ux research so that's when you'll do in-depth ux research to validate the solution that you're proposing and once you have that completed as well you will go into ux designing uh, assuming if there is a UX, there is a user-facing piece to this uh, problem that you're solving. So you'll do UX design, and then you go in parallel, Eng goes into writing their back-end design documents. Once that is done, then you go into the development mode. At Google, okay. obviously, a lot is at stake. So we also have reviews before we go into development to make sure that we've all thought through it from every aspect and gather feedback from other folks on the in the company. So we do that. And then once we have the green light, we go into development mode. Once development is completed, we all get together again in a room to bug bash and break what we made ourselves. And then again, as a PM, you do a lot of prioritization there to figure out what is really launch blocking and what's not. And in parallel as the PM, you're also work doing launch prep, which includes things, writing the blog posts, writing all of the help center articles, making sure you have the roadshows lined up, preparing comms for sales and marketing, all of that fun stuff. And then and then finally, hopefully the day comes when you can start to roll out. So I've typically done a phase rollout. So it would start with 2% or a 5%, depending on how risky the feature is, and then roll up to 10%, 50, and then 100. And that's it. So then you launch, and then you don't celebrate yet though. So you wait for the feature to actually land. So we track the metrics for at least two or three months post-launch. And once we actually see the metrics performing well, that's when we go ahead and celebrate the launch. Okay, so there is a celebration in here. I was hoping there was one coming towards the end of this. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Yeah, we celebrate the landing. I'm so glad we had that recorded because there's such great richness that we could dive into in each one of those areas. But you are starting with Amazon's practice working backwards, that PR, the FAQ, what would that press release be like at the very end? Conducting that user research to find out what we don't know, creating that first draft, the requirements document, get that out to the team quickly so the team can collaborate on that. 
Then deeper level research, UX research in this case, to validate your solution, make changes as need to, move to design, move to development, test all that. At the same time you're doing all this, you are preparing for launch. So that's just not a hand over to a marketing department that kind of picks things up. It's, no, we're doing this in parallel so that the two come out in sync with each other. Lots of good insights on execution. I wanted to ask you real quick on the writing of the requirements document and involving the engineering team. This is probably where I've had the most hiccups. I'm sure I've had lots of hiccups along the way, but the most struggles with getting requirements written in a way that convey what the user actually wants and engineering to be able to execute on them. My solution typically is when I can is to drag a lead engineer with me out into the field and actually interact with the customer so they have that firsthand context. There might be better ways to do it. That just has worked for me. Your thoughts on trying to help engineering understand what the requirements actually are? Because when we're just writing them down, it's hard to capture the full the full context, the full meaning. Absolutely. I think that's perfect, Chad. That's the default that I would uh, also do back in the day when we would uh, have this ability to bring users into the buildings as well, which we can't remember we did. Can't believe we used to do that. But now what I do, I will, when I'm convincing the people around making a case for, hey, why we should be building this, I will often take... I will be recording every single user conversation I've had. So I will take okay. parts of snippets from that user conversation and start my presentation with the user describing the pain point. That's really good. Right? So doing exactly what you said, which is dragging the, the engineer to the user or bringing the user to the engineer. Yeah. That has always helped me a lot. So I will, I will, I've, I always have some sense of what is bothering this engineering lead, where they might have the biggest concerns. So I'll take those snippets about establishing my point and share that. I'll always open my presentation with them and then go in into, hey, here's what we're proposing. Second, just to add to that, I've always I've also seen engineering objections often be around infrastructure. That, hey, do we have the right libraries to build? Or, hey, do we have the right privacy environment to build? Those concerns are very genuine. So it helps when you have already addressed those concerns to some extent. Like, for example, for one of my projects, privacy it was privacy sensitive. So I already got through a privacy approval by going to the privacy office hours and getting them to say, yes, we're on board with what you're doing. So having a screenshot of that upfront in your presentation or when you're pitching it to them is helpful because they know you you appreciate the sensitivity of the issue that they're worried about and you've already thought about it. A key takeaway from what you just shared was remember to record the user conversations, those user engagements, because you don't know how they're going to be valuable to you later. And you might need to share a clip with engineering and help you out. Love it. Excellent. Thanks for all the great information about how product managers can think about growing their skills and their career through breaking up the work into planning and executing. I know we didn't get to helping people get into product management, but we'll tell them how to reach out to you that you can help them with that as a follow-up. We do like innovation quotes around here, and I asked you to bring one for us. And can you share what that means to you? Absolutely. My favorite quote around innovation is from Grace Hopper, who was a pioneering computer scientist. She said that the most dangerous phrase in the language is, we have always done it this way. I associate with this quote a lot because it emphasizes the danger of complacency and the need to constantly challenge the status quo in order to stay relevant and competitive. 
yeah, that's my favorite one to always fall back on. And I use it to encourage a culture of innovation within my team. It's a great quote. Yes, Admiral Grace Hopper. She's the one that gave us, defined the word bug for us originally, because it was early computers with tubes. It was literally a moth that was stuck shorting out a tube. And it was a bug in the system. Great insights. I really appreciate that quote. Thanks for sharing that with us. How can people find out about your work? Reach out to you. So it's very straightforward. Sign up for my Substack newsletter. It's thebunsel at substack.com. It's very easy. The Bunsel. And I'm still launching a product management course as well that will be focused on current product managers and help them succeed. Sign up for the Substack to hear about it. Okay. And we'll have links in the show notes to make sure that's easy to find. But it's the and your last name? The, yes, the and my last name. Correct. Okay. B-A-N-S-A-L. Thank you so much for your insights and wisdom. Wish you the best on helping mentors and seeing your career grow as well. All the great things you're doing at Google and who knows where else they will be influencing in the future. Neha, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you so much for having me here, Chad. It was my pleasure. And once again, for listeners, if you want to find that one page action guide, also the written summary of everything we discussed and the links to resources here to find out more about Neha's work and get in touch with her, simply go to productmasterynow.com slash four four zero everyone keep innovating thank you for listening to product mastery now where product leaders and managers gain product mastery through practical knowledge influence and confidence by listening you are becoming a product master creating products customers love find additional resources at productmasterynow.com keep innovating